0: Welcome to Downton. Hello there, Emma speaking. Welcome to Shall We Go Through, the Downton Abbey fan podcast. What? 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 Hello everybody and welcome to Shall We Go Through, a Downton Abbey fan podcast. Um, before I start this episode, if you have listened to my little, not so little introduction, you might have heard an outro kind of special one well um so if you haven't uh, listened to it uh please do if you want like it's just me introducing myself and the podcast it is actually an extract from an episode of Downton Abbey in season four I believe um is it is Rose uh saying vive la différence but it's just but actually the whole thing is a private joke between my friend and I uh because every time we hear her saying that we can't stop laughing it's just it's the way she's saying it um so yeah vive la différence it's like yeah to differences i yeah something like that um but it's just the way she's saying it like she emphasizes the r too much and she's just she just kept an e in the middle so it's Vive la différence! Well, but I just love it. I, I just she's so cute. I love this character. She's so cute, and we're absolutely not making fun of Lily James. I love her so much. But just yeah, the way she's saying it. But usually, when people want to speak French, they put too much emphasis on the R's and it doesn't sound that French. I mean, yeah. But um, yeah, we we just love this extract from Downton Abbey and every time we talk about it we can laugh for 10 minutes just thinking about it and I mean it's a good belief you know and the way she's saying it's very funny and she said i in French and so I thought it would be a good outro so that would be it would be my outro we're here to talk about the very first episode of Downton Abbey that came out more than 10 years ago oh my god I'm so excited um it's gonna be a long one uh I'm just gonna say that already because well it's it's longer than the other episode and we have a lot to talk about because we have to introduce well, we have the introduction to every character and there was like what 16 of them so yeah it's a bit long and like i said in the intro- introduction i decided to name like my in my own way or actually in the friend's way every episode so this one i named it the one where the ships sink and I just hope it's proper English. Um, you have the right to make fun of me if it's not. So yeah, and I will explain it at the end, but um, let's start. Um, so yeah, I'm going to talk about the intro of the episode first um, and then I'm going to separate uh, the episode into intrigues. And we we'll do that um, for every episode because Usually, every episode is centered around um, one, two, three characters, and they all have their own storylines, so it's easier to just go through it in, well, separated the storylines. It's, I I mean, it's easier for me to understand. So yeah, let's start. When the episode begins, we follow two arrivals at the same time. We have a telegram, and we see the telegram wires and we have John Bates on the train who is the first character we see one is coming for upstairs the other for downstairs and they're both going to change life of the Abbey and then we see the journey um, to Downton Abbey and then we see the castle Highclere Castle which is a real location you can visit it it is so beautiful Just, just the pictures of it it's just breathtaking okay so we're in April 1912 which is the month of the sinking of the Titanic uh I mean they talked about it in the official podcast but I think it was very clever to choose the sinking of the Titanic because everybody I've heard of it almost everybody in this planet have seen actually the movie Titanic so you know what it is about you kind of know where when it was you know it is uh you know it is before the first world war so it just i mean this is very clever because it's, a, it's something that would change a lot of things and everybody has heard of it so yeah it's in I- april 1912 and we follow daisy and daisy she's the lowest person of the ladder like really if you, like if you talk about rank she's literally at the bottom of it and um we are introduced to the house and the servants through her at the beginning for downstairs the camera is handheld and i just love that which means the camera is more edgy so it actually feels like you are a part of downstairs like you're part of the servants like you are a character and it gives you some kind of a frenetic energy i just Love it! Like the idea of doing that was absolutely amazing. So Daisy first is waking Gwen and Anna. Then we see her talking with Mrs. Patmore. So literally, we see every character that we're going to follow through the other episodes. And then Daisy's going upstairs to do the fires, and Thomas took the reins from her to introduce us to the house. Uh, so we follow him in the house and the house we realize it's actually a character in itself and it's absolutely beautiful and then then we see the other characters we see William we see Mrs Hughes well actually we see her keys before seeing her and then we see Carson and I like this whole scene this whole sequence because it felt it feels like it is a preparation of a show you know like the behind the scenes before the show starts you have the whole preparation of it, and it actually makes you feel like you're part of it, and that you have seen every place, every room of this house, and which is even more amazing is that the servants' quarters are actually shot at eating studios, so it's not in at the same location and What I love the most when I know something like that is just you know sometimes I like to see if I can like notice the difference you know but to be honest in Downton Abbey it's just so well made I don't like I mean I, I can't see it like it- you just go from studios to Highcliffe Castle and it's just so smooth you do not see it and I just want to say that because this is just amazing it's incredible It it's one of the things that makes the show so great um yeah so we have this preparation of the show and then we just changed uh, the scenery. We're in a room, the room of Lady Mary. She's waking up, and you can see that the camera is more steady. Steady, which again, it's really good because just instantly you see the difference. You Say, okay, now um, we're in the aristocrats' quarters. Uh, it's like completely different. And she pull she pulls the bell rope, and then you see downstairs the bell. Again, amazing. And then we have this phrase from Thomas saying, "And thereof." It's literally like a show, like, okay, the show begins, the curtain rises, It started. It makes me feel like uh, a swan. You know, you have like the agitation underwater, but it's really calm above. Like, because it's like two different words and so many things, there are mo- more things happening downstairs than upstairs. I I even want to say it makes me think a bit of a, like an iceberg, you know? Like the part underwater is bigger than the part above it. I don't know if it was a really good, you know, image, but you know, since we're talking about the Titanic. So, and then the papers arrive. And with the paper, you have the big news. And it's really well made because if you don't know anything about the Titanic, like if you don't like it was in April 1912, you don't know what the big news is. You just know something happens. And they they do not tell you, you're like, what happened? But you know it's big news because you have the reaction from all the servants. And then you have Robert coming downstairs. I love this shot so much because the way it is made, you just you know instantly that this man is important. And he comes down with his dog, really important too. And again, he talks about the news with Carson, but we really don't know. Like, we kind of start to understand because, say, oh, do we know someone on board? Say Okay, so maybe it's a boat. And then they just, You know, I just love how it's made. They have the daughters coming in, Edith first, then Mary. Um, And we can see a picture of the Titanic in the newspaper. And then Sybil comes in with the telegram. So just before talking about it, just just talk about the daughters. There are three daughters, but you can actually tell them apart. Like they're so different. Like the haircut, the dresses. Um, And I just want to say, Edith, and Mary are literally sitting side by side I mean it it, it never happened except for that episode right it just me it shocked me when I rewatched it it's like, my god they're sitting next to each other I mean they can actually be in the same room together we like hating each other bananas apparently so then we have the telegram the actual telegram that we saw and we knew since the beginning that it was something kind of shocking but we don't know what it is so Robert is like reading it and we realize something happened because you can see his face and he's just leaving like the daughters are like what what happening he's like no I'm leaving he's like what what? where where is he going well he's going to see his wife and well I want to say last but not least well she definitely she's well actually she's not the last character we see but one of the last I Okay, I'm going to say that right now. I already said introduction. I am in love with Cora. Okay, love her. And so actually, you can realize that married women take take their breakfast in bed. Maybe you didn't know that. I didn't know that actually before watching Downton. It's quite nice, you know. That's a, that's a nice life, I'm telling you. Um, So he comes to see her to talk about the news. And the news is a James and a Patrick were on board and they are probably dead. Uh, so we don't know who they are, but apparently yeah, it's it's really shocking because you can see their faces, like Cora's face. We had actually our first watts of the season. We have two what's from Cora in that scene. And it's the first ones of the season. And I won't say it's actually the first one of the show. Um, and there's a lot of whats in Downton Abbey. So yeah. Big news. But who were James and Patrick? well I'm gonna stop there and you're gonna need to wait a little before knowing it because obviously you don't know who they are because you have never seen the show before um but yeah so after you have this news what's happening downstairs well Bates I mean we talked about him Bates arrives and with his arrival you are actually introduced to the servants and this is great this is such it's, it's always um, a great way to introduce people to characters you have a new one so this new character will meet all the others so you will meet like as well so this is really clever so he arrives and he walks with a stick and you can see like the re- reaction from the other characters like already obrien is judging him because he like he came into the house without announcing itself. i mean really she's like judging him but anna is really friendly i mean it's anna so you you have already seen the character. okay o'brien i don't like you and anna i like you because you're friendly yeah and we need to take uh in that when we watch period dramas we have to think uh like they were thinking back then be sentimental the way they were back then because we, because it's two different times and like the reaction they have to his disability where well, we still have some really shocking reaction to disability but imagine at this time <laughs> with all the stairs they have it's just I mean if you can't do your job no one else can do it for you and then the whole like well, if, if if you know someone can't do his job it just kind of messed up everything so obviously they're kind of worried about it um, but he can say that he managed and what I love is the scene where they show him his room it's like I should be comfortable and when you see that you're like it's literally the simplest room I've ever seen and obviously he would think he's comfortable because yes I have a room I have a job so it's I have to think differently um, and actually the fact that I bait is lame I love this because it just is really interesting uh, for the character and it was Julian Fellows um it was uh yeah it was his wife who told him that he could make him lame and i thought she had a great idea because it adds something to the character and i think it was a really good idea but you can see that his arrival (laughs) well not everyone is pleased with it so he is here to be his lordship valet so robert's valet um and apparently thomas was the valet when bait before Bates arrived and well, he's not really happy um, that Bates is you know taking his place kind of way I um, mean, the way he looks at him with anger and envy so obviously he's like the bad guy and then we have O'Brien being kind of the bitch so together they are allies and there's all they're always plotting all the time and I love it because every other character knows that they're like plotting and they always have not really good ideas and they're not really like the nicest person they're not the nicest people and you know like Mrs. Hughes interrupts them says it's like a public holiday I haven't heard about um I just love it because they're not um stupid and they're not blind so again we have the relationship of the characters uh we have O'Brien and Thomas being allies, and both of them not liking Bates. Then we have a moment where we have Robert coming downstairs, which is something that does not happen every day. And He's welcoming Bates himself. I just want to say a quick hello to my old comrade-in-arms. And then we learn that Bates was uh, Robert's Batman during the Boer War, which was the South African War. And I love it because it was literally like Robert's servant. Robert calls him like my comrade in arms. so it's like it they're, they're like equals. And I really love their relationship because it's it is I mean it's supposed to be um the master of the house, and he's valid, but he's more than that, and I really l- love their relationship. and that is why I think it was very interesting and clever to make Bates lame because his friend. The master of the house. Um, and I love it because you can see the reaction of the whole the rest of the staff being like, oh my god, he knows like the big boss. Uh, you have Mrs. Hughes and Carson being like surprised and tiny upset because he haven't said anything about it. And I mean and O'Brien and Thomas being like, oh my god, okay, I do not like that. And partly because they thought about that he could be that he could. Yeah, be a spy, but in the other direction, like Thomas says. like, like He would spy on the servants on behalf of uh, the people upstairs. Because usually um, they're like a team downstairs and they talk about everything that happens upstairs and they know more about their life. Um, it's Alastair Bruce, who was the his- historical advisor on Downton Abbey, who said to the, the cast of downstairs that the family is like the soap opera for for the servants they know much more about their life than uh the aristocrats uh, knew about uh the servants life and this is how it this is actually how it worked they're always talking about what's happening upstairs so just imagine if you have a spy in another direction like you can say everything just said i don't know if you like insulted your masters and stuff like that so obviously I'm not really pleased about it especially not Thomas o'brien because we already know that they are up to no good to continue with the introduction of the characters you have a really funny scene with Daisy and her eggs that was supposed to be sparkled on what was it the chicken um I really like this scene because you can actually see that she's really young because um the girls that was doing her job she must have been like 13 or or 14 like she's really young and naive I think she's funny she's really sweet and then we have the scene um with Carson and Mrs. Shoes and you can see their relationship like it's different they're friendly and they're more at ease with each other um I love this scene because uh Carson is um decanting the wine clarifying the wine and I love because it's that is something I love in Downton Abbey that you have lots of scenes just tiny details like that that just show you why it was the life back then the little things that they did and I love it and you have Carson talking about our our family um and because he thinks himself as a member of this family because he says it's the only family I've got and you have Mrs. Hughes saying it's not mine family and that is the Major difference between the two of them, like Mrs. Hughes, like it's my job. Like she doesn't dislike them because they're good employers, but it's not her family. She's just doing her job. Carson, it's it's his whole life—the job, the family. I mean, he's been there for like ages. And I love this scene too because you have Mrs. Hughes asking him if he ever thought about going another way um, out of service, uh, because back then, if you wanted to have a career in service. So being like um, a housekeeper or a um, lady's maid or a cook. Um, I mean, you had no life at all. You, I mean, you didn't marry. Usually maids were like, went out of service around their twenties to get married. So obviously um, if Mrs. Hughes is still there, I mean, it's her entire life. She had no life um, except being um, the housekeeper of Downton Abbey so I think it's interesting because you like choose do I want to have a career or do I want to have a family sort of way so yeah and apparently well Carson he's like no my life is to be the butler of Downton Abbey and then well O'Brien we've seen already she likes to cause trouble that's she's just made for that you know um and what I hate even more is she manipulates Cora because O'Brien is um Cora's lady's maid so obviously the ladies maid and the valet actually the one that are the closest to the members of the family because they dress them they with them all the time and O'Brien I mean she's really 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 good at that you know she has this kind of nice voice talking about bass because of course she doesn't like him Being like oh yeah but he can't do his job I mean it's really difficult and she knows that whatever she tells Cora she would actually tests than her husband so she's very very clever and I don't like her and Thomas and O'Brien are again always plotting and smoking and actually the fact that they're both that they both smoke make them really good villain like it's, it gave you villain vibes I don't know about you but it really gave me that vibe so I love the aesthetic of it you know like they're plotting and they're smoking at the same time, <laughs> I quite like it, so Thomas won Bates out because he wanted a job, and he knows exactly what to say to Carson, you know, because he knows that Carson really likes everything to be proper, so he's like saying, yeah, but he can't carry, he can't serve at tables, I mean, there is, we can't, he can't stay, you know, and like I said before, Cora had a discussion with Uh, Robert bad Bates because O'Brien told her that apparently he can't do his job and obviously except Cora everybody knows that O'Brien likes to cause trouble you know it's like I don't even know why you listen to her like she likes to cause trouble like she was born for that and I like I like actually this talk because like oh of course I know what it must feel like you know to have fought together in the war it's like oh yeah you do like 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 you've been there um, and he's really I mean you can see that he's struggling because he really wants to give him a chance um, because obviously we don't know what happened to get uh, that what happened uh, to them during the war but it's always it creates a bond and he well he he likes him and again he talks about him like he, he's yeah he's equal his friend almost so he just wants to give him a chance and then we have a scene that, it's actually hard for me to watch this scene, to be honest. Um, it's when Bates is in the Servant's and like Gwen asks him if he can give her a tray with cutlery on it. And I don't know, he just, I mean, his leg, her, I'd say more, I don't know what happened, but just he lets the, um, the tray fall down and you have everybody uh, watching that. And of course, Thomas and Brian almost, delight almost delighted what happened like oh see you can't even stand and they're again plotting and this this time it's Anna you know <laughs> interrupt um, who interrupts them like oh you know I'm gonna have my dinner and you two can stay here plotting I love it because no one is blind well almost no one is blind like when they're together you know like they're up to no good Bates is one of the characters that is in the center of this episode um, and we have this talk between Carson and Robert. So, Carson actually, as the butler, he is in charge of the male staff. Uh, then we have Mrs. Hughes, she is the housekeeper. So, she is in charge of the female staff. And Mrs. Patmore is in charge of the kitchen staff. They are like the holy trinity of downstairs. Um, Carson, so, is like the daddy of downstairs. And Robert is the daddy of upstairs and you know, Carson uh, manages the male staff so usually when he says this person is not up to the job usually they let him go because he knows uh better than everybody else like who can do the job or not but you can see that Robert really wants to have Bates, and whatever Carson is telling him he's like no I really want him to give him a chance and Carson he can't say anything because Robert's still I mean he's still the king in this kingdom you know Um, but I love this talk so much. No, like, no, he can't serve a table. Like, you know, I mean, what's going to happen? I mean, we may have a maid serving a duke. I mean, what? Oh my God, this can't be happening. Cheer up, Carson. There are worse things happening in the world. Not worse than a maid serving a duke. Robert's face at this moment is like, okay everyone has their own priorities Um, and I just love it because bananas but Carson you are not ready for what's going to happen but then so yeah we go and talk about the Duke later but the all the staff is actually welcoming the Duke outside and Bates is falling and he's falling why because O'Brien made him fall I hate this scene and I dislike O'Brien so much can't say I hate her. I think I like to dislike her, but this scene, oh I hate it. And the reaction from the different people around him. You know, you have Carson being kinda of weird almost ashamed, like, oh my god, did he just fall in front of Duke. Mrs. Hughes being kinda of sorry that he happened. And not helping because obviously she is the sweetest. We have Robert actually uh, being worried about him again. And they can't stop talking about Bates. Like uh, we have another scene with Cora and Robert and she's like, maybe you should let him go. And it's like, I don't want to let him go. I don't care what Carson thinks. <laughs> and then we have probably one of my favorite scenes of, of this episode uh, between Robert and Bates and Robert just realized maybe it would not work. And I love this scene because it's really two men that I, I think know they know each other um a lot and they're all proud and Bates and I mean Bates oh, is holding his tears Robert doesn't want to let him go um and he doesn't want even to tell him that he has to leave he leads the conversation in a way that Bates understand that he's the one saying okay I'm gonna leave and I like it because it's really two men struggling um and I think this phrase kind of summer summarized the thing perfectly it's a bloody business, Bates, but I can't see anywhere around it. You're like, I, I don't want to let you go, but I mean, I have, it's almost like I have no choice. This scene, I mean, the acting is just amazing because just realized, basically, like, I would never find another job. And you feel sorry for him because you're not stupid. You know that him being... um you know, walking with a stick is is an issue and this scene really oh, I love it. Another scene that I love so much is just after that when Anna brings him a tray. God love this scene. You know, because she so she sees him crying and but then she realized that she saw something she was not supposed to see and to not like, you know, to um preserve his pride she announces herself before actually like just um you know saying mr bates are you here so he has time to dry his tears and i love this moment so much tell us when you're fixed just drop us a line else i'll worry well we can't have that and you see the spark i mean you see something is happening between them I mean, like the, he can't leave i mean you can't just leave us like that I mean this scene is so nice and then Robert just saves the day at the end of the episode when Bates is supposed to leave he stops the car thank you Robert you know he just said it wasn't right and he I mean he's right it wasn't right I mean Bates needs to stay if Bates was actually leaving there would have been no point of making him the first character we see so obviously we already knew that he was not going to leave because we it's the first guy we saw on the show but again i'm still really really happy that Robert stopped the car so yeah that, that was our little talk about the servants and Bates now let's come back to our James and our Patrick that are probably dead so who are they? James was uh, Robert's first cousin and Patrick was his son they were both the heir to the estate because Robert has three daughters, so they can't inherit because the girls and girls can't inherit yeah well that's a shame for him so yeah and then actually I like there's a phrase from O'Brien that kind of summarizes um, everything saying it's worse than a shame it's a complication because, yeah, who is going to inherit the estate? Like, who's who's the new heir? And, well, obviously, since it's O'Brien who heard the news by James and Patrick, all downstairs know. Like, they all know about it. Then later, we learn that Mary, so the heir's daughter, was supposed to marry Patrick because there's a talk between her and Robert. And it's kind of shocking a moment. Like, Robert's really shocked by this conversation because she's like, she doesn't really want to... Go into full mourning because, I mean, she's like, "Why?" And she doesn't want to mourn him as a fiance. He's like, "Well, if you don't want to do it, well, don't do it." And she's like, "Oh, it's a relief." The guy, the guys are probably both there, but it's a relief. I, I'm not. I do not have to mourn him as a fiance. I mean, yeah, it's probably is kind of shock. It's kind of shocked by it. And <laughs> there is a, a line in the script book that I think summarizes. Robert um it says the truth is Robert loves his children but he doesn't really know them I mean bananas and I just want to say does Robert know everything that's going around um in his estate I'm not really sure about it but yeah so then we have actually the reaction for almost everybody to the news and we have Cora and Robert walking outside and she tells him you must challenge the intel now. And I think it's um interesting because, you know, it's been se- like 17 years that he just realized that he had no sons and just three daughters. He never thought about challenging the intel, probably because he had a cousin and stuff. But now they're all like, oh, you must change it now. But a part of me thinks if he wanted to do it, why didn't he do it like sooner? Yeah. And then, wow, we hear that. The Dowager has arrived. And I like when he says, you know, because the Dowager wants to see Cora and Robert tells her, you know, just you have to tell mama about James and Patrick, she won't have heard. And then we have the entrance of the one that would be I mean we've been waiting to see her since the beginning. We have the entrance of Maggie Smith character, Violet. Of course I've heard. I love this entrance because she's already in black. Obviously, she already have uh, have heard about James and Patrick. And actually, uh, the inspiration for entrance was uh, Maleficent at the christening of Princess Aurora. And I love the idea of it. And I mean, yeah, you just see like she knows everything that's going around the estate. Um, She, I mean, the fact she's already in black just tells you everything. She knows everything. And she a bit, she's to Downton what Dumbledore is to Hogwarts you know it's my it's my point of view of it and I love this scene because you can kind of see the relationship between Violet and Cora um, and the old quarrels that they they have between them because again they talk about the fact that well Cora didn't have a son and so we we actually know more about it so because um, Cora is an American uh, heiress So she had a lot of money, but she comes from like the nouveau riche. So um, the one that was not, they were not even including in society in America. So since they had money, they decided to uh, get married to, uh, into the British aristocracy to have a title and to be included into society. And since the aristocrats in England needed money, that was, you know, everybody, it it was a win-win. So Cora gave all her money to the estate. And apparently, it is like attached to it. Like, she can't have her money back. Robert's father thought that, I mean, he was like, Well, she's going to have a son. So we have the air and everything's settled. But she did not. And I love it because when Violet just tells him, We know it would never occur to him that you would not have a son. It's like, Well, I didn't. And she's really on the defensive. Like, No, I didn't. Like, Yeah, I know it's my fault. Like, I, I still think she's blaming her still to this day by the fact she didn't have a son you know <laughs> and then Violet's like no you did not let's not quarrel about that now <laughs> you know that's the fact you did not let's no no let's not going around it again and again but then so she's like wait there's nothing we can do you know like why are you here to talk about it but actually Violet always has a plan the entail must be smashed In its entirety. And Mary recognized as heiress of all. So she wants Mary to be recognized as heiress. So she can't have a title, but she can have the estate. Uh, And um, Cora's money. Uh, That is the idea. And I like it when Cora is actually kind of happy. She's like, oh, we're going to be friends. (laughs) And Violet's like... We are allies, my dear, which can be a good deal more effective. Love, love this phrase. Um, so yes yeah, so they're actually allies and they're planning to try to smash the entail. tail and then just wanted to say something because I watched this episode with uh, the commentary um, it was actually the commentary of Julian Fellows um, who's the creator and screenwriter of Downton Abbey um, Gareth Neim, who's producer executive producer I don't remember and Brian Percival I think it was him he was the director and in this Uh, Commentary. I really enjoyed uh, watching that. Julian Fellows, for this scene, made a comment. He said, Elizabeth is a fantastically pretty woman. And I wanted to say that because, well, obviously, Julian, I do agree with you. So if if you don't know, Elizabeth McGovern is um, the actress who plays Cora. But I just love that he just said that, you know, naturally. And I was like, well, I can't disagree with that. Well, and he said something, he said that, so Elizabeth and Michelle, uh, Michelle Dockery who plays Mary, they have the perfect figure for this period of time, and they, they looked marvelous in everything they were given to wear. So yeah, I just wanted to say that, because, why well, I do agree, I agree. So, again, Julian, love you, and I agree. Now, let's just go back to talk about Downton Abbey. So then we have the memorial. And the memorial is just, it takes place approximately three months um, after the sinking of the Titanic. Uh, And we know more about this new heir. Uh, So it is apparently Robert's third cousin once removed. I don't really know what that means, but it's like really distant family member. And so the lawyer uh, tells Robert that um, his third cousin was a doctor. And I kind of like, uh, Robert's reaction it seems odd to me that my cousin was a doctor and the lawyer is a bit annoyed by that like you know why I mean you know that was professions and and obviously Robert's definitely not a snob Um, he's not but he does not challenge the way things are and for him it's weird that doctors are that a doctor can be an heir to um an estate because um, I mean famous doctors could start dynasties but they did not usually come from once and when they're coming home from uh, the memorial and we have the beginning of the rivalry between Mary and Edith and it's just the beginning bananas um, because you can see that Edith is generally, generally sad but Patrick um and obviously Mary's kind of making fun of her. Like uh, you were not the one that would like engage to him and I you know all, I mean. And there are some deleted scenes that I've read in the script book. I don't know if about this scene, I don't know if they've been shot or if there some of them would just not even um uh, shot at all, but um there is a deleted scene between Edith and Robert being actually sad together about Patrick. So you can say she's really attached to to, to him. And in this scene, there is something that Edith, um, Edith say, said to Robert, she said to him, do what you feel is right for Downton and not for Mary, Omi or Sibu. and I like it because she emphasizes on Mary because obviously she doesn't like her sister and, and she's like, oh just do what you think is good for Downton. So yeah, but there's all, um, other scenes that were deleted what you can see that she was really attached to Patrick and this is something we need to remember for something that will happen in the future bananas and then you have a scene with the three girls together and again Edith telling Mary that she she would have loved to be married to Patrick Uh you know she she tells her I would have taken him like a shot like if he if you have no, know, if, if Mary didn't want to marry Patrick, it would be like, oh, <laughs> I want to marry him, like, definitely. And I think it's in this scene, there was a deleted part where Mary actually thinks that her father would challenge the entail. You know, she says he can and he will. Like, she's confident about it. But obviously, oh, it's more complicated than that and so we can see that Mary and Edith are well they're not allies they're not friends they do not like each other but Mary and Sybil it's a different relationship um well Sybil is a different person totally she's sweetest person she has a lot of empathy and she comes to talk to Mary telling her that you know that I know that you're sad about Patrick whatever you say you say I know you are and Mary tells her I'm not as sad as I should be. That's what makes me sad. And I like it because Mary has this complex character. She really has two kind of characters. The one that she actually is and the one that she wants other people to believe she is. Oh, and then you have one of my favorite scenes. I, I think I said that already a lot. Where there's a lot of really great in this episode. It's a conversation between Robert and Violet. And well they talk about Cora. Obviously I love this conversation. Um and she said she says twenty-four years ago you married Cora. So just to talk about that, um if it was actually twenty-four years ago, it would have been in eighteen eighteen no eighteen eighty eight. And we know that because in the future we realize that the dates have changed because they got married in um eighteen ninety. So I don't know if it's actually canon it's just the fan that just said that. But apparently Cora uh, went in England in 1888 and they got engaged that same year. But they only got married like in 1890. Yeah, 1890, February the 16th. That I do know. So yeah, but whatever. She said 24 years ago is 22 years. Well, whatever. They got married. And apparently, Robert married her for her money. So that's nice, you know. Um, <laughs> and she's like, well, if I mean, you marry her for her money, if you're giving everything away, to a stranger, what was the point of it? And I love his answer. He's like, If I were to tell you she'd made me very happy, would that stretch belief? Oh, yay. Um, Invited. That's not why you chose her. And, oh my God, one of my favorite phrases of him you know if you must know when I think of my motives for pursuing Cora, I'm ashamed. And this is something that actually kind of follow him uh, through the seasons. Like, he's really ashamed because, well, obviously, now he's following her, he's falling in love with her because it's only human, you know. I mean, it's Cora, obviously, he had fallen in love with her. And but I really love this talk because she's be like, I mean, do you not care about Downton at all? And he's like, Are you kidding me? I've been raised to care about it. And I love when he says, It is my third parent and my fourth child. Of course I care about it, but like, I'm not a magician. You know, if the law says Mary can't inherit, I can't do anything about it. You know, he's really angry. <laughs> and Violet's literally shushing him. Like, oh, and like, you, you speak too loudly. And I love when she's really shushing him. And I love it because she always acts like his mother when they're together. And I love it. And actually, in this scene, we have the first joke about Cora being American. It is actually a recurrent joke. And sometimes it's even an insult. You know that the, um, the girls are coming in and Cora is saying something like, I hope I do not hear the sound of a disagreement. And Violet says, such a called, discussion in New York. And well, I'm so, to be honest, sometimes I really feel bad for Cora because they're actually making fun of her being American all the time. You know, but that does not prevent Violet to see Cora. lot I mean because then we have a scene with them together at the dower house and Cora had a letter from a Duke and Violet says to her the Duke thinks Mary's prospects have altered so Violet is saying that for her the Duke thinks that Mary would become an heiress that actually they would challenge the entail you know, and she, she even says, I mean, if she was an heiress, she would have a lot of suitors. I mean, yeah, obviously, because she would have an estate, she would be rich, so yeah, she would have a lot of suitors. Um, but they're like, okay, so the Duke can come if they if she if he wants. And she um says to Cora Our duty is to marry. Because we realise that Robert's duty is to Downton. like he's really like I do not want to lose the estate, even if my daughter can't inherit. My duty is to Downton. and Cora's and Violet's duties is to marry. So she's like, Okay, just invite the Duke. I mean, maybe he wants to marry Mary. It's you know, it's going to be fine because she can be a Duchess. And she, um, there's a really funny moment because she tells Cora, You know, give, uh, give him a date when uh, they're out of mourning because no one wants to kiss a girl in black. And that makes me laugh because. In a scene prior to that, uh, you have Robert coming uh, to uh, Cora's room and she's dressed in black. He tells her, you look very nice. So, Violet, apparently, no one wants to kiss a girl in black except your son. But I just want to say, if it's Cora, whatever color she's wearing, I would love to kiss her too. When the duke is coming, Carson is so proud. It's like, oh my God, a duke. A downturn, like he's so proud of welcoming a Duke. And so, again, like I said before, all the servants are welcoming him. That is uh, the scene where um, Bates uh, for thanks to O'Brien. And the Duke, there is something fishy there because Duke arrives and it's like, oh, my man has taken ill. I have no valet. And so they say, well, Carson's like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I can look after you. It's like, no, no. No, it's too much trouble. I mean, oh, this man, I know him. Like, oh, he can take care of me. Who are you? Thomas. Okay, great. I mean, come on. We know something is not right there. Like, it's too weird. Like, it's too perfect. So, you know, something is fishy because it's too good a coincidence. And there is no such thing as coincidence. So, after that, the Duke is with Mary alone. And you can tell her she's a bit nervous. Like, she she's playing with her necklace and the duke wants to explore the house alone with her so i mean she has never been alone with a man before and again like i said mary i think she has like two personalities she's less brave bored than she appears she i think there's a part of her like how old is she she's like twenty, twenty-one. 21 so she's still a child you know even if people tell you like you're supposed to be an adult at 21 I was 21, now I'm 25, still doesn't think myself as an adult so she's still a child and you know she's like this uh, young girl kind of afraid of the world because she doesn't know anything about it but there is this part of her that wants to be bored and brave and reckless and so she's kind of in between the two, she's kind of lost between the two personalities and there is a phrase in the um, in the script book that I like it says this is very bored. and naturally she's delighted because of course he wants to explore the house the house alone without a chaperone which is not really proper um, but she's delighted because it's kind of a again it's bored and she she wants to appear that way but again something fishy the Duke wants to explore the attic like, if I wanted to explore the house, it would be anything but the attic. I mean, the house is extraordinary. And the guy wants to explore the attic. So you know something is wrong. It's like, oh, but, you know, it's different. I mean, <laughs> the attic. Well, and you can see she's not totally comfortable. You know, again, it's not really proper. He makes fun of her. It's not really nice. Like, of course, she's a bit, you know, nervous. She's never been along with a man before. Um, And then... The Duke ser- I mean, Duke searches in Thomas's room. Well, I don't know if it's it's Thomas' room, but he just searches in a room. Again, it is weird. And I mean you can see um Mary being totally uncomfortable when baked, come in the corridor, um, because she does have respect for the servants. It's like it's not we're not supposed to be here, we're not supposed to go into their room. It's it's their place. You no, know, it's it's their Environments, their privacy, and then Bates actually uh, is saying to Duke, "Are you looking for Thomas?" And you're like, "Okay." So the Duke is searching in Thomas's room, and he actually asks Thomas to be his valet. Something is weird. Like, yeah, it's suspicious. But they leave because Mary's totally like uncomfortable and again he makes fun of her like why did you apologize to him like you know it's your house and she's like well I'm I always apologize when I'm in the wrong you know and I have to say um that is actually right like Mary do apologize when she's in the wrong sometimes she does need help to apologize but she she does apologize so we have to give her that and then we have dinner really interesting the dinner and we have our first french word of the day because the duke says that he's uh, glad to be, you know, honored or happy to be dining en famille. So, well, it's not really difficult, but en famille means, you know, with uh, your family, you know, because famille means family. So it's really like, I don't know why they say that in French, to be honest. I don't know if maybe it's the expression, but it's really like, like you're dining with the family. So it's en famille. And if you want to know, uh, family. It's written F A M I L L E. So family means family, and this dinner, this dinner. I mean, <laughs> Edith always puts her foot in her mouth, especially when it comes to Mary. She's like, "Oh, Mary, why were you in the attic?" And I like it because Sybil tries to find excuses for, like, oh, she's just showing him the house. Violet tries to change the whole conversation because she realized that this is something is weird about it, but she just changes the conversation. But Robert just goes right into it again, like, the attic. I mean, why would you go to the attic? <laughs> and I like it where well, Edith really, she's like, you know, determined. She's like, why did you go to the attic? And we are like, okay something is not right and we can see Thomas's reaction and the moment he learns that they were in the attic you know it's kind of weird yeah and so obviously they talk about again with the servants talk about uh, what happened upstairs um, when they're dying downstairs and Carson is on Mary's side because he calls her the heiress you know for, for him she's the heiress and I think it's kinda of funny because he's really like the man that likes when everything is proper, like you have to go uh by the rules and stuff. And the law literally tells you Mary can't inherit, it's like she's the heiress. She's the like she is the one that's supposed to inherit. I don't care what the law is saying, she Mary is the heiress. Oh and then we have probably one of my favorite scene of this episode. I already said that but this one is probably one of my favorite. it's a conversation between robert and the duke really love this scene because i love um how they are sitting on their chair you know like it's more comfortable especially robert's like more comfortable in the way he's sitting makes me feel like you know it's like i am in charge here you know because definitely because the duke uh a duke is um higher in terms of um aristocracy than an earl but he's really like i don't care if you're a duke or whatever i am still the king here and yeah the way he's sitting just he screams that to me with his cigar and his port and actually robert understands uh, why the duke is here and why um what he wants to talk about and he plays with him and i like it because it makes me think that robert's make the duke think that he's playing with him when he's actually robert's playing with him i don't know if you, that makes sense and if you understand me but anyway and the part of me uh that the duke made him feel about him a bit you know because about his younger self I'm talking about robert you know because robert was a fortune hunter so by the whole discussion um the duke actually thought that robert would challenge jane tail but he literally tells him no I won't and he's kind of shocked by it he's like are oh, you willing to give everything to a perfect stranger and again Robert's playing with him he's like oh I hope he turned out to be perfect and so they talk about it and Robert just realized like oh but you know if you marry Mary she she will have money you know you will be pleased and you're like oh oh wait um <laughs> there must be a misunderstanding here." Um I mean I'm I'm not I will not marry Lady Mary. My dear don't, Lord Grantham don't, my dear Lord Grantham me. You knew what you were doing when you came here. <laughs> He's so angry. I love this scene because Robert knew from the moment the, the uh, conversation started that, um, well, that the Duke thought that Mary would be an heiress, that's why he might have wanted um to marry her. And I really love it because I just realized he was really smart in this conversation. And I just realized that, I don't know why, but his IQ just fluctuates <laughs> through the series. Bananas. But in this, at this moment, he was really, really clever. You know, but he's really angry too because it's still his girl. Like, like you knew what you did when you came here. You know, you made us believe that you were going to marry uh, Mary, who were actually interested uh, in her. And Duke is like, oh no, you missed on the I mean, oh Duke, I don't like him at all. You know, obviously he knew, because like, oh, what, what did you, what, you no, knew you wanted to talk to me about something? What was it? Oh, I forgot. Oh yes, you forgot. I mean, the moment you realized that Mary wouldn't be an heiress, you forgot. Like, yeah, we absolutely do not believe you. Um, I really, really love this scene. And then we have three scenes. And it's, um, uh, like scenes behind closed doors so he thinks that only us and the one that are in the rooms know about and i love those three scenes and the first one it's between the duke and thomas and since the beginning of the scene you think okay something is strange because thomas doesn't have his um uh jacket he's drinking he's like he's a bit cozy you know and they talk together with Duke like they're friends, like they know each other. And then we have answers because Thomas has been, um, we saw him going to the post office and he's, he said that he sent a telegram. Well, he sent a telegram to the Duke. So they actually know each other, but like No, no, know, know each other. Like they've written letters to each other. And stuff that like really close, and so actually Thomas thought that Mary would be the heiress, and apparently the Duke needs money, and he needs he he needs an heiress, and uh so well apparently uh, so well uh, that's didn't go according to plan because Mary will not be an heiress, and Thomas what well, his plan of uh, Thomas's plan was to get away of downtown with the Duke, because he wants to get away. Uh, He doesn't want uh, to stay there because of baits and stuff. And actually he wants to get away because he wants to be with the Duke. And then we have another answer. Why the Duke was in the attic? Well, he wanted to get the proof that he and Thomas had a relationship because obviously uh, being uh, a homosexual back then uh, you could go to jail for it. And Thomas could have blackmailed uh, the Duke saying him like you would find me a better job or I tell everybody that we had or maybe that not that we but like like you're gay or something. But the Duke just got the letters back and he just threw them in the fire. It is the moment we actually feel really sorry for Thomas. And that is something I like um because in Downton most of the characters um have different sides like the one that you think about like Thomas you see him uh, he's like the villain well then Julian gave you something to say well look at him you can feel sorry for him like he's not all black you know we're not all black or white and you know yeah you really feel sorry for him at that moment because he thought he w- was going to get away and he didn't And in that scene, I just want to tell you something. In that scene, we have the first kiss of the show. And this kiss was actually requested by Rob James Cordier and Charlie Cox, the actors who play Thomas and the Duke. And Julian said that he didn't write it at first in the script book because he thought it was a bit too much, but they requested it. (laughs) And I love it. I actually really do. I, I like this scene, but again, it makes me feel really sorry about Thomas. Then, other scene behind closed doors, a recurrent one, actually. It's Mrs. Hughes and Carson in Mrs. Hughes' sitting room, like the, the the parents of downstairs. And like I said, I like their relationship because they're more is um, together because they can, they're both like the bosses. <laughs> and, I, and I like it because, well, um, Carson um, tells Mrs. Hughes where the Duke is living and Mrs. Hughes is like what I mean we had a turkey kid for tomorrow <laughs> I mean oh god and um, and she's like well I suppose she did nothing wrong like it's not Mary's fault and Carson is like oh no she did nothing wrong do not talk bad about Mary like he's very very protective of her And so Mrs. Jude has this phrase, I love it, saying um, something like, his grace turns out to be graceless. Um, But I love this scene between the two of them because it's always like, do not touch Mary, okay? And I like it. Oh, and then we have my favorite scene. Okay, I'm going to stop saying favorite scene. This is definitely my favorite scene of this episode, okay? This scene, it's Cora and Robert in Cora's bedroom. I do love this. It's actually a recurrent scene too. So we had the, the parents of downstairs and we have the parents of upstairs. Obviously, they talk about what happened with Duke and he's really like, well, how was this to know that he wouldn't take her without the money? He's like, well, don't be a child. Like, come on, you knew. Like, don't be stupid. She likes to tease him, you know, like he's like, I mean, he's a fortune hunter and Mary would not have been happy with him and she's like well maybe she might have been happy with the fortune hunter because I was you know like because you were a fortune hunter and and then he turns so sweet have you been happy really have I made you happy oh and she says yes you know I mean since he fell in love with her and apparently that was a year after we they got married and then he says, not a year not as long as that. And you know what I think? I think that Robert actually fell in love with her really early on in their marriage, but it took him a long time to realize that he was in love with her and then a long time to tell her. But I mean, he had to fall in love with her. It's Cora. I mean, again, I already said it, but he's only human. So obviously. Uh, and after that, he's like, yeah, but it wouldn't have happened for Mary because I'm so much nicer than the Duke of Cobra and I love it because she's like oh I'll be the judge of that but I want to say Robert definitely like if I had to choose between you and the Duke I'd choose you a hundred times like definitely you way better than him and then again they talk about the duties because Cora uh, is like I'm not going to let it rest you know and Robert well he's kind of conflicted but he says um, I must do what my conscience tells me and she's like well, so must I. And this is really important. We need to remember that because Cora would do things in the future that do what her conscious tells her, And Robert would do the same. You know, Robert stopping the car uh, and not lo- letting a Bates go is something that his conscious I tell him to do, you know, like because he said it wasn't right. So I like it because it's, it's a phrase that it's not just about downtown and the estate, but so much more. And I like it. And I really do love this scene. I mean, how can you not love them? I mean, they're just so cute. I mean, because at that time, there wasn't a lot of couples that actually love each other. And they love each other, but they show to each other that they love them. And even in front of people, I just love them so much. But again, I already said that, you know, I ship them so hard. Then, the Duke is leaving. I really like this scene because when he's leaving the next morning, he's like, I'm so sorry, Lady Gwyneth. I mean, something had come up. I had to leave. And she's like, obviously, like, are you thinking I'm stupid? I mean, do you not think that my husband just told me everything that just happened? I mean, I just love how she's faking to believe. him. like, yeah, obviously. (laughs) Yeah, you had to leave. (laughs) I I really, really like this scene. I really like. Both of them like Cori and Robert, love them. I didn't like the Duke, so you know, good reasons. you can leave, we don't need you. Um. So yeah, that's the end of our episode. Well, actually, not quite, because at the end of it, we are introduced to our new heir, Matthew and his mother, Isabel. And so he received a letter from Lord Grantham and, well, what does Lord Grantham want? He wants to change our lives. And that's the end of our first episode. And, well, before wrapping this up, well, the music of the day. So, actually, well, it makes me think about Downton, and there's, I think that I've read kind of jokes about it. Um, And this song was, I think I read it somewhere, kind of a... Um, an official hymn uh, that the cast is used to sing. So it is Downtown by uh, Petula Clark. Um, I, to be honest, I listened to the Klee cast version. And I I, I actually really like this song. And it's interesting because a lot of people, I don't know in the rest of the world, but like in France, who do not know Downtown Abbey, they say Downtown Abbey. So I think it's funny. So yeah, but you know, when you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go downtown. The light's so much brighter that you can forget all your troubles. For- So yeah, again, it was just a little (laughs) piece of music. Yeah, oh yeah, my title, explanation. Um, The one where the ships sink. Well, first you have one ship, it's the Titanic, you know. But then I thought about ship as relationships, you know. And we lost a couple of them in this episode. It's not like anyone actually shipped them you know like uh, in the fandom but I just thought it was funny because we have Mary and the Duke and when Mary I mean Mary did um you know ship her and the Duke you know you even have a scene I haven't talked about a scene you know when the Duke is says that he's leaving the next morning her being sad and it is just you know coming out so I say oh he slipped the hook and she's like at least I'm not fishing with no bait we like the scene so she, she, you know, she she believed it could happen, you know, but it didn't. And then we had Thomas and the Duke, obviously didn't happen. And we almost had Bates and Anna because we saw that spark. And thank God Robert stopped the car because there was that was the beginning of something so yeah that's it for this episode that is very 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 long and I am so sorry but there was too much to talk about I'm sure I've missed lots of things too but yeah so don't hesitate to leave a review or send me a dm on instagram at charlwe.podcasts I'll be happy to listen what you have to say or read what you have to say And yeah, so I will see you next Sunday for episode two of season one of Downton Abbey. And I can give you the title. This episode will be called The One with Andromeda and the Sea Monster. So I'll see you next Sunday. And until then, take care of yourself. And don't forget. Vive la différence